This morning is designated as Christ the King Sunday throughout the Christian church, at least by those of us who observe the liturgical year. So it was nice to sing Worship the King this morning. Until last week, I really never paid much attention to what this Sunday was about. And then I did a little research, and I learned that this is a special feast day, and it was established by Pope Pius XI in 1920, or in the 1920s, in response to growing nationalism and secularism. And it was intended to call the church to a greater reverence and respect for the authority of Christ the King. So it's not surprising that in this morning's lectionary text from Matthew that we just heard read here, this depicts Jesus as a king sitting on a throne judging the nations. Here we see Jesus as the almighty judge who sorts people out. He's sort of the eternal sorter, sending some to eternal punishment and some to eternal life. Now, I've been aware over the last number of weeks, hearing these passages from the last part of Matthew that are a part of our lectionary readings, that we're encountering some pretty harsh images of God. And I, I have to say that makes me squirm. I'm glad that we're not shying away from hearing these passages, but I'm not entirely comfortable when I hear them. I'm much more comfortable with an image of God or of Jesus as the Good Shepherd um, who seeks out the lost and rescues them and his sheep and probably his goats too. I think that he cares for his goats as well. I'm more comfortable with that image than the image of a <clears throat> God who casts people out to meet a disastrous end. So, I'm just being honest, this is a tension that I encounter as I come to this text this morning. But rather than attempting to resolve it, I'm simply going to ask that we hold this tension in front of us lightly, acknowledging that we are both drawn to and drawn in by a God of incredible love at the same time that we are confronted, as we see in this morning's scripture, by a God who cares so deeply for the least of these that our engagement with them is a matter of eternal importance. So, who are the least of these that this king is so concerned about? Well, your response probably is, well, duh, isn't that obvious? Jesus mentions them by name. They are the hungry and the thirsty and the strangers and, and those that don't have clothing and, and those who are sick and those who are in prison. The least of these who are members of my family is how Jesus describes them. Now, perhaps because Jesus describes them as members of his family, which in Greek is my brothers, he's referring to disciples, his disciples, who have gone out to share the good news of Jesus. These disciples would have gone out, as described in Luke 10, um, without purses or bags or sandals, totally dependent upon the hospitality of those who receive them. They're vulnerable. They're likely poor. They're perhaps persecuted and imprisoned, and 
they would certainly have been among the least of these. Or perhaps Jesus is referring to people more generally who are on the margins, who are outsiders, discarded, who are suffering from basic human need like hunger and thirst, people who lack clothing and shelter and access to medical care, people who find themselves in prison and have no place to belong. These are precisely the folks, Jesus is saying, that he counts as members of his family. They find their belonging with him. Or perhaps more to the point of this story, Jesus finds his belonging with them. Now that may be an unsettling thought, that Jesus finds a place of belonging, that Jesus finds his home among those that the world considers the least of these. The unsettling nature of that thought may be why both the sheep and the goats are taken by surprise when Jesus says, just as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. Wow, the sheep say, we had no idea that that was you. The goats respond, you've got to be kidding. If we'd known that, we'd have been there. I suppose that both groups would have been more apt to recognize Jesus if he'd appeared as some sort of powerful king or if he'd at least been hanging out in the courts of royalty. But Jesus as a beggar on a street corner? Not likely. But when you think about it, why should the goats and the sheep be surprised by this revelation of Jesus among the least of these? I mean, they only needed to think back on Jesus' life. Jesus did begin his ministry in a synagogue. But as soon as he walked out the door, he migrated to the margins. He engaged with the hungry and with the sick and with other untouchables in his society like tax collectors and prostitutes and other sinners. And not only did he teach and heal, he befriended them. He sat with them and he ate with them and he welcomed their hospitality. So really, it's no surprise to the sh that the sheep and the goats or that we would find Jesus among the least of these. Perhaps the question we think about more than where do we find Jesus is where do we find ourselves? In the story, we see clearly the difference between the sheep and the goats, although I still haven't figured out what's wrong with goats. <clears throat> and although being proud isn't very sheep-like, we know pretty well what group we're in, right? We host, Sunday, we host Monday night meals week after week. We've done that for 11 years now. We help birth the Chestnut Housing Corporation to help provide desperately needed transitional housing in this community. 
We faithfully support McCaskey High School. We provide volunteers for the Winter Emergency Shelter. We support Mennonite Central Community and Mennonite Disaster Service and many other organizations in their efforts to meet human need in the name of Christ. It would seem that we here at East Chestnut Street are pretty good sheep. And so can I sit down now? We at the end of the sermon? I guess we could all go home feeling good. Or maybe it's not quite that simple. Doing good, helping others, can actually be quite complicated. Beginning with our own motivations. Perhaps we want to be sheep because we do general, genuinely care for others. Or perhaps we're afraid not to. I mean, after all, we don't want to end up with those goats. Or perhaps reaching out to others, <clears throat> perhaps our reaching out to others is driven by a sense of guilty obligation or maybe by a need to be needed. Unfortunately, when we don't pay attention to what's going on inside us, when we don't pay attention to why it is that we are reaching out to help others, we run the risk of exhausting ourselves and wounding those that we seek to serve. We run the risk of exhausting ourselves and wounding those that we really want to help. And I guess that's a topic for another sermon. So why do we do what we do? Why the Monday night meals? Why the winter shelter? Why our work with transitional housing in this community? Well, one of the answers, and just one of the answers suggested in this morning's text is that because that is where we find Jesus, among the least of these. Strange place to find Jesus, wouldn't you say? In soup kitchens, on street corners, in prisons, at homeless shelters. It may sound a little strange, but I think I keep bumping into Jesus at Monday night meals. Let me tell you about Joe, and I'm going to change his name. Every time when I see him on Monday night, the first thing that he does is to offer me a blessing. God bless you, he says. And I feel truly, truly blessed. And when I ask him about his day, how it went, he says, I woke up this morning, I opened my eyes, and I saw that I was still here. It was a good day. And I think, you know what, Joe is right. It was a good day. He knows, after all that he's been through, that life is truly a gift. And then there's Tom. 
Tom, who carries a Bible with him all the time. He's not conspicuous about it at all. He's a very quiet man. He keeps that Bible in his backpack, but he keeps that backpack with him all the time. One night, he quietly took out his Bible and showed it to me. He keeps it with him at all times because of the struggles in his life. He knows that there are too many temptations out there facing him day after day. And the tangible connection, this tangible connection with God's word in that Bible is what keeps him headed in the right direction. And I think, would I be as strong as Tom if I had to face those challenges day after day? Mind you, Jesus doesn't always come into clear focus in each and every person that comes to the door. And this is a confession. I had trouble seeing Jesus that day. A woman stopped by at the office and insisted that I get her out of a mess that she found herself in. Here's my problem, she said. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, I wasn't too happy with this approach. And wouldn't you know it, that happened on the same day that I really started working on this sermon. God, God, I guess, has a sense of humor. And you know, for the last year and a half, um, when I was working as a chaplain at one of the hospitals here in town, it wasn't always easy to see Jesus either. I remember getting very discouraged after a spate of some really intense situations where I felt like I was entering hell on earth as I walked alongside people held, to, held hostage by addiction, as I tried to bring comfort to families who were experiencing awful, terrible, incredible pain, as I heard heart-wrenching stories of abuse, and as I watched newborns suffer the painful consequences of their mother's drug abuse. And in the midst of what seemed like hell, in these places that seemed so devoid of hope, I finally had to stop and ask, could it be that Jesus is in this place? Well, after struggling with that question for a number of weeks, an answer began to come clear for me. Yes. Jesus is even, and Jesus is especially here. Not removed from the world's pain, but right here in the thick of it. And I became convinced in a new way that Jesus is present and caring deeply for those who find themselves in hell on earth, even in hells of their own making. And that Jesus is also caring for my own aching heart as I sit with them in the middle of it. And I saw in a very powerful way that as I sat with people in some of these really awful places, that Jesus just sort of slipped in, slid into that space between us, helping us learn together about compassion and 
humility and respect for the precious image of God that is buried deep within each and every one of us, even when we can't always see it. Together with Jesus in that space, we learned about grace and courage, as well as about the hard truth of what it means to live with the painful choices that we have made. And together with Jesus in that space, we were held by God's love, a love that was big enough and strong enough to hold us just as we were. I look back now and I see how formative those experiences have been for me and for my faith. I would say that they have been a significant part of my ongoing conversion. They have taken me to places where I have clearly seen and profoundly met Jesus. They were places where I didn't have the answers, places where I feared to tread. Places where I could only pray, Jesus, give me eyes to see you. Give me ears to hear you. Give me a heart to receive you right now in this place. And you know what? Without fail, Jesus showed up. Because Jesus was there all the time. And that's the hope that I'd like to leave with us this morning. Maybe the story about the sheep and the goats isn't so much about being good sheep or about fulfilling obligation or earning God's approval or avoiding the fate of the goats. Maybe it's mostly about an opportunity to see Jesus. Maybe it's an invitation to step outside our comfort zones into the messiness of life alongside folks that the world considers the least of these so that we might meet Jesus there, perhaps in a new way. We have the assurance that Jesus will show up because Jesus is already there. Knowing this, believing this, trusting this, may we go out with good courage to wherever we may be called, expecting to meet Jesus along the way.